0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of selling Greenville your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville South Carolina I am your host as always Stan McCune realtor right here in Greenville South Carolina and you can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs and if you want to support this podcast please subscribe to it we're on YouTube if you want to watch me I've got a different look today um, I have no products in my hair. I worked out and showered before, and so I look like um, I just came off the beach or something. So if you're interested in that look, um, I, <laughs> uh, I you can find me on YouTube. Just search for my name, um, and uh, I have my own channel. Um, selling Greenville channel is taken, so you just have to search for Stan McCune. Uh, but you can subscribe, you can comment, you can like, uh, and on Apple... Podcasts and on Spotify and perhaps some others, you can also leave a rating, leave a review. Can't talk. Can do all those things, and I'd appreciate if you guys could, in fact, do that. Uh, Today, I'm going to do a little bit of a different uh, episode. I want to talk about my job. and I I shouldn't say it's not super different. I have talked about my job a few different times. Um, But specifically, I want to talk about how my job has changed over the years as a realtor. Um, and there's been quite a bit of changes. And I feel like it's always helpful. And if you're a listener of this podcast, you already know uh, that I like to reflect on the past, I feel like we can learn a lot from the past, and that that can really guide us into the future. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of doing that and looking back at what things were like in the past. And, uh, and then that, you know, really, I feel like, for me specifically and for a lot of other people kind of helps us to ride the crest of the wave right because if you're if you're prepared based on what's happened in the past for what's hap- what's going to happen in the future then uh you know you can never be fully prepared for the future but you can be more informed with likely outcomes likely scenarios based on that um and so I do a lot of reflecting on the past in this podcast we look at historical data all the time we talk about Um, you know what the Federal Reserve has done in the past. I'm gonna do um, another uh, episode on that sooner than later. Um, not not specifically on the Federal Reserve, but looking at uh, at interest rates uh, because that's a big topic right now. But my job has really, you know, I so I've been a full time realtor now. Um, for well, I've been a realtor for seven and a half years. I haven't been full time that entire time. The first year. Um, I was part time, but I've been a realtor for seven and a half years. And during that time, it's really remarkable just how much the nature of my job has changed. Um, And if you look at the history of real estate, historically, being a realtor has really changed. Like when I talk to uh, realtors that have been in real estate for 30 or 40 years, um, it just blows my mind some of the things that they tell me. like One guy, one realtor from my office told me, that the first contract he ever had was a verbal contract. Uh, nobody did any inspections or anything, and after a few weeks, they closed. Um, well, that's an interesting story, because even 30, 40 years ago, contracts were still supposed to be on paper. Um, that actually dates back to uh, England in, like, the, I don't know, like the 1500s or something like that. One of my uh, history buff listeners can, can inform us on that. But uh, real estate contracts specifically have been on paper for hundreds of years. But nonetheless, in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, people were still kind of flying by the seats of their pants, apparently, uh, 30, 40 years ago. Um, But even just over the past seven and a half years, we've seen a lot of changes, um, as a lot of industries have. Uh, Things just move more quickly now. But uh, for me, it's very interesting and very informative to think back on how my job has changed and how just real estate in general has changed. Now, before I get into this, I want to make something very clear. Okay, um, anytime I describe what I do, I'm pretty sure it's almost always going to sound easier than what it is. Um, and a lot of people already think that being a realtor is a as an easy job. Now, I'm not going to pretend like it's the hardest job in the world. You know, this isn't rocket science, right? Uh, But there's a reason why 90% of of realtors don't make it to their fifth year of being a full-time realtor. There is a huge, tremendous dropout rate and it's not easy to to make it in this world, in in the world of real estate. Um, It's not a difficult job to perform per se, but it's very difficult to perform it well enough that you can actually make a living off of it. We'll say it that way. Um, At the... Company party for C. Dan Joyner Realtors, which is the company I'm I'm with right now. Um, I connected with with a guy at one point who uh, was married to a realtor within the company, and he had uh, partaken of some liquid courage, we'll say, and uh, and was very candid about how his wife was was making basically no money as a realtor, um, and she'd been doing it for about a year. And he asked me when it gets better, and I was like, for to, to summarize, I was like. You know, years one to three are really, really hard. If you can just grind it out, get some closings during the first three years, Um, then by year four, you know, hopefully you've built a solid group of clients that are referring people to you um, that are now buying uh, or selling their second home under you. Um, And then you'll start to see things kind of snowball a bit. And then you'll you'll start to see some some real action. But not everyone can just wait for three to four years for that to happen, and so um, I, I, I want to to make sure that as I in this episode, I'm going to oversimplify my job to a point where it might sound like there isn't much involved with with what I'm doing. But just know that even a basic task in real estate is often a lot more complicated than than people realize. I d- I did um, an open house this weekend, this past weekend. I'm recording this on June 12th. Um, I did the open house yesterday, Sunday. And open houses are easy, right? You just show up Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m., talk to people as they as they go in there. Um, wrong. Actually, you start advertising the open house in the days leading up to it. You have to come up with the materials to put out at the open house, print them, uh, to, to, to and put them in folders, binders, whatever. Look professional. You have to put out signs for the open house um, on busy streets. You have to do that. Uh, Friday night, you're not allowed to do that before 5 p.m. on Friday, um, and so that's what, what I did. I was out late on Friday night because I 5 p.m. wasn't good. I had I had showings at 5 p.m., so um, I was out at like 8 p.m. setting up uh, setting up open house signs. Um, then Sunday rolls around, you have to to fill up balloons, um, put them on the signs. That is my least favorite part of the entire process is the balloons. The balloons are so finicky. It's really easy to lose them. It's really easy to pop them. Um, I do not like the balloon thing, but it, they're super helpful. And I know from firsthand experience when I'm driving by an open house sign that has balloons on it, it like I, my eye is immediately caught by it, right? because your peripheral vision sees the balloons moving around. Um, and so they're they're really, really necessary. Um, and then, oh, and I, I didn't even mention. it took me forever to put the signs for the open house up. Because multiple of the signs I had to put straight into the the classic red clay that we have uh, here in Greenville, and I actually I, I had a, a pocket knife that has like a, a longer blade on it. That finally it was like okay, I just got i I've got to find a tool that I can use, and I, I hadn't thought to bring like a screwdriver or anything because I've not run into this problem before, and. Um, I bent my pocket knife in the red clay. It was so packed down. So that was that was incredible. It took me extra long to put up the signs. Um, but yeah, then, then on Sunday, you put, put the balloons on in the morning, then you set up for the open house, you host it, then you have to go back, get the signs, gather them back up, deliver them back to the office. Um, and all in all, an open house takes about nine to 10 man hours, not including drive time. Now, um, some of that can be outsourced, but depending on the situation, I may not be able to outsource it or I may not want to outsource this. In, in, in the case of the one yesterday, it was a little bit of, of both. Um, I, I did the entire thing myself. So it took me around nine to 10 man hours, which is it's unusual that I do everything myself because I, I do have uh, assistance within my office. But people just need to understand before I go into this that there's a lot more into being a realtor than just, oh, I just, you know search for a house. Oh, I just go to a house and, and have an open house. No, there is, even when I'm when I'm showing houses, I, I assuming that I have time to do it in a standard situation, I'm doing a ton of research, looking at the house, looking to see is it in a flood zone? Is it overpriced? Is there activity on it right now? Are there already offers? Doing all sorts of legwork to make sure we're not wasting our time before we even get there. Um, and so I just want to Lay that foundation. Hopefully I didn't get too long winded there, but but um, hopefully you kind of understand where I'm coming from on that. Um, I also don't, uh, and this will be the last thing I say on this, I don't tell my clients all this happening behind the scenes. Um, there's a lot that I shield my clients from, and that's a big part of of how I run my business. So if I'm Communicate with attorneys, lenders, the other agents, whatever. There's a lot of times if my clients don't need to know something, I don't tell them. I just I try to take as much off their plate as possible. Um, most of the time, my clients are moving. And if they're not, they're most likely investors and investor real estate investors are always busy. So I don't want to add anything to them that's unnecessary. And so as much of the burden as I can handle myself, I like to do that. Okay, so with all that in mind, um, and again, sorry for, for doing all that. I just wanted to, to make it clear that I, I am going to be oversimplifying things a bit and there's a lot more value that I or any realtor brings to a transaction than, than only the few points that I'm bringing up here. Um, so I became a realtor back in, I guess it was 2016. Um, and obviously the market was way different. We've talked about this quite a bit on this show. Um, The market was way different in 2016 than it is now. Um, It was calmer. It was still a seller's market, um, but it was calmer. There's more inventory. um, There's more demand. You know, obviously demand has plummeted since these interest rates have have gone up. Um, But um, Greenville wasn't attracting as many outsiders just yet. Um, That's really taken off a lot more lately with people coming here from, from out of state. Um, And, just a, a variety of, of things like that um, So when I first started working with buyer clients, really my job was about finding just good deals for my clients. there were a, a decent and let's say the date range from like 2016 to 18 um, there were good deals that were out there and really, Most of my clients, and and again, some of this was just the type of clientele that I had to, probably my experience in terms of how what I've done, how it's changed, um, probably wouldn't be the same for every single realtor out there. Um, But a lot of my clients, they were my buyer clients back then, 2016 and 2018, they were looking for good deals and there were deals to be found a lot more than there are now. And so it was really just a matter, my primary um, job that I felt like, particularly for my investor clients, was to uh, source those good deals and was to find those good deals for my clients, to analyze them, to um, help them to, to assess what the deals were and, and all of that. Um, and that was really a big part of, of the value that I was bringing at that point in time. Um, now, I do want to clarify, I've got a hair on my face. It's driving me crazy. Apologies to uh, to all you watching on YouTube. I don't even know if that hair will show up or not. Um, I can feel it, but I can't see it. Um, obviously, I still am doing that today. Um, and so, again, none of these are like exclusive of each other. But that was the the primary value that I was providing back then. For sellers, my primary value back then was helping them negotiate the best deal possible, um, and trying to limit the number of repairs that they had to do, the number of uh, the buyer closing costs that they had to pay, all of this. Because sellers back then, um, you know, obviously they weren't getting just like now, as the market has has kind of flipped back a, a bit. Um, they aren't weren't getting 100% of what they listed a home for. They were getting, you know, closer to 98%. And that was after potential price reductions. And so um, my job for my sellers, what I saw, and what I found to be really the biggest part of, of how I was able to help them was once we got under contract. um, Well, first off, negotiating while we were in an offer situation, while we had offers and an offer or multiple offers, uh, was to start off with just getting the absolute best deal for them. Because we knew we know that buyers are going to come in, they're going to ask for the sellers to pay for closing costs, we know the buyers are going to come in, and they're going to immediately ask for a reduction on the price. And so there's a little bit of a Give and take that's kind of expected, but some buyers are not as reasonable as others. And part of the negotiation process for me is actually to assess the other party how reasonable are they going to be? Are they willing to do a little give and take? There are some situations, though, where and I had this happen during this period of time where there were, I would have a listing and we would immediately get an offer from a buyer where they were expecting to my seller to you know give up the house for five thousand hours less than we listed it for and it's like and we've got more showings coming up and and all of that and it's like no we're not going to do that i actually had a um a, a person confront me at an open house because they had made an offer and my sellers was just like no we're doing the open house first and uh and and you know the it wasn't a bad offer that they had made uh, but they came and confronted me at the open house and were like, why didn't you guys accept the offer? And it's just like, well, that's not my decision. This is what my sellers wanted to do. Um, and then, of course, after we went under contract, um, you know, a big part of what I was doing back then was just trying to keep my sellers' r- uh, repair costs as low as possible. You know, if people then, if buyers then came in and said, you know, hey, uh, we found, you know, they're always going to say, we found all these repairs that need to be done. So, you know, you guys need to to pay for, you know, $3,000 of, of our closing costs. Um, that was where my ability to negotiate, I would be pushing back against that, trying to make sure that we held the deal together, but also didn't surrender too much. That was really the primary, those were the primary things that I felt like I was doing back then that provided value. Um, Not that there weren't other things, but those are the first things that come to mind is like, this is what I was losing sleep over at night. These were the things that I was having the most conversations with my clients about. These are the things that were front of mind for me um, during that period of time. Now, from 2018 to 2019, right before the pandemic, um, we saw home prices really start to climb quite a bit. Um, and this caused a lot of my clients to start gravitating towards uh, new construction, a lot of my buyer clients, I should specify, to gravitate towards new construction and fixer uppers. Um, now you might think that those are like opposite ends of the spectrum and they kind of are. So it's like, okay, why would people gravitate that way? Well, when there is um, when, when prices are starting to go up, that is when new construction, can become more attractive because builders, if they have homes that aren't selling or whatever the case may be, they are willing to offer concessions, builder concessions. Uh, maybe they're, they'll pay for closing costs. Maybe they will offer a rate buy down. They're doing these types of things right now in order to stay afloat as the market has shifted. Um, and then, of course, fixer uppers are the opposite end of the spectrum. But similarly, uh, they're cheaper. And so p- this is what people were were gravitating towards as prices started going up. It's like, okay, we need fixer-uppers. So a lot of what I was doing was looking for those fixer-uppers, was helping my clients uh interviewing new home builders, uh those types of things, uh helping them through the the new construction process if the if they did go under contract with a with the builder. And um and and just kind of managing all of those different things. When it when it came to fixer uppers in particularly, because I've got fix and flip experience uh, and things of that nature, a lot of other uh, similar experiences, um, I would even sometimes, if my clients were kind of struggling with a vision or, or needed some ideas, I would be there as a sounding board to try and to try to to bring ideas to the table as well. Um, and of course, again, I still do that today, but that was a major part of what I was doing back then. Now, um, for my sellers, the, uh, really the most important thing for, for sellers that I feel like during this time period was selling quickly, um, because the market was getting hotter. And so you kind of had two buckets, right? Those that sold quickly and that got top of the market and those that different that didn't. And then their homes, uh, you know, would not only not sell for top of the market, but would actually get probably less than what they should have uh, because they didn't sell quickly. Um, And so my job shifted to more for my sellers to consulting how to be one of the ones that sold quickly, as opposed to uh, one of the listings that just lingered on the market. So a lot of this had to do with uh, consulting on staging, prepping a home uh, pricing strategies things of that nature we need to come up with a plan so that this home doesn't just sit on the market and uh, and so that was what I was doing more than anything else uh during that period of time or again that was the thing that that I was thinking about and focusing on uh most often during that period of time now the crazy market 2020 through, uh, mid 2022 ish, uh, however you want to say it. Um, or yeah, mid 2022, all these, uh, all these years are, uh, going by kind of crazy, uh, but particularly 2021 and we'll just call it 2021 and kind of the half years surrounding it. Okay. Um, this was the craziest part of my career by far, Absolutely, by far, nothing compares to this for me and for any other realtor I've ever talked to. This is where we started having ASAP showings, uh, is what I called them. An ASAP showing was a home came on the market that fit exactly what one of my buyer clients wanted. And it was like I had to drop everything I was doing to go show it to them because it might be gone in like an hour. Um, That was incredibly stressful for everyone, for, for my clients, for me. Um, and, uh, but that was super important. I had to make sure that I had a a level of built in flexibility in my schedule to make sure that I could just, okay, I'm, I, I can put, I can drop what I'm doing and return to it in a couple of hours. It's not going to inconvenience everyone, anyone. Um, so yes, I will hop over and show you this house real quick. Um, there was a few times where I couldn't and, you know, maybe someone from my office was able to, um, in those instances, and so that was a big part of of the value was just my availability. Massive part of my value during that period of time. Um and, and then another thing that I felt like was really really valuable uh because there were so many multiple offer situations for my buyer clients was just crafting the perfect offer, right? And and crafting an offer is is a lot there's a lot of nuances to it um there you know is the obvious thing which is just the price but there are multiple different ways to approach how you price an offer um there's a lot of terms that can kind of get buried away that people will forget about um there are ways of crafting those terms in a way that are really attractive to a seller um there are ways of just tightening up the terms to make to make things more attractive um Usually, a listing agent will put little clues in their offers as to, uh, or sorry, in their listings as to what they would like to be, what things they would like to have in their offers. And so I would try to, to find those clues and try to incorporate those things and also just have conversations with the listing agents as well. So that was a big part of the value uh, that I was providing for my buyer clients during that period of time was just my availability for showings and then trying to craft the perfect offer so that we would finally win out in one of these multiple offer situations. Um for sellers, uh, really a big, you know, people think oh it was super super easy to to be a seller in that market and to an extent it was. Um but there was still uh, plenty of work that I had to do as a realtor in that market working with sellers. Um and a lot of it was was um on the front end determining how high to go on a price without a lot of comps <laughs> right um, we, you know what inventory became a started to become a problem during this period of time and so um, it, it became a, a real challenge of like okay there's not really any comps we don't exactly know what this house is going to sell for. Um, but I'm I've done a bunch of research I've looked at what's on the market currently I've looked at what's sold. Um, here's what I think uh we we could get um and here's why I don't think it's too high here's why I don't think it's too low um, and that would be how we would approach it um and and that was really really crucial because um a lot of people during this time period were just all over the map people were just l- listing their homes for way too much or um, you know I saw a lot of instances where homes were, uh were underpriced and and then it, it was just kind of insane the amount of activity people would get and that would be stressful um you know sellers like to get multiple offers but they don't like to get 40 offers right um it, it sounds awesome until you realize that you have to have every single offer presented to you by your realtor that's a legal obligation i could lose my license if i didn't do that um and not to mention having to be out of your home for that entire time. There's just a lot of a lot more stress than you might realize when you get you know dozens of offers. Um, and then another big part of what I was doing was upfront negotiation, particularly in multiple offer situations. Um, I remember specifically there was one time that I was I was literally at the pool with my kids, and I got a call from a buyer's agent wanting to negotiate with me with with one of my sellers. And so, you know. Um, here we go, you know, it's not something, all of these things, again, during that uh, pandemic environment, everything was very tense. So it wasn't the kind of thing where it's just like, you know, hey, I'm at the pool, you know, we're going to be here until 10 o'clock, let me call you back at 1030. It was like, no, it had to happen right there and and right then. Um, And so those were the types of things that I I found myself doing quite often was these late night negotiations, um, trying to, you know, make sure that I was there for my clients. Um, now let's get into today's market, right? From mid 2022, basically a year ago until now, you could, you could probably go back a little bit further than a year ago, uh, but roughly the past year. Um, for my buyer clients, I think a lot of what we're doing right now is is thinking long term and strategizing, right? I mean, we don't have as many ASAP showings as we've talked about. Um, home prices um, are are obviously very high, but people are there's a lot of, of debate going on with what's going to happen with those home prices. Are they going to flatline? Are they going to keep going up? Are they going to go down? Um, and so I try to educate myself on on the economy and, and what's happening in, in the real estate market. And so I try to bring that knowledge to bear for my clients so that we think through the long term. What What is our long term strategy here? Um, where are interest rates going? Um, will more homes be coming on the market? Will we be able to... Even find what you're looking for? Are you looking for something that's realistic? Are you looking for something that's gonna come on the market the next six to 12 months? These are the things that right now, in addition to all of the other things, these are the things that right now I'm spending a lot of time with my buyer clients, trying to consult with them, trying to be, you know, almost like an advisor to them to try to think about their real estate strategy. Um, For my sellers, really I'm my focus right now is uh, is on marketing because you know as the market has shifted, homes are obviously sitting longer than they have in a while. We've seen the days on market till sale uh, skyrocket the in uh, you know the past year uh, but particularly the past few months um, and so we need to obviously I have to amp up my marketing. I mentioned, about uh, doing an open house I haven't done a whole lot of open houses the past few years and the reason is that oftentimes homes would just sell before you even had the opportunity to do it now not everyone even wants an open house that's a whole separate thing and there's debate with whether open houses actually sell homes but it at least brings a certain level of buzz to a home makes people aware of of a home it reminds them that it's on the market and, uh, and so I do think that it, it has value, even though it's pretty rare that at an open house that a house actually sells. But the last open house, besides this last one that I did, um, it did not have a ton of activity. But then within a week, we were under contract with someone. So you just never know what will happen. So I'm focusing on my marketing. Um, and then as far as when homes do sit and, and they don't go under contract for, for several weeks... There's this balance of determining if patience is required, if we just need to wait for the right buyer to come online and for the the market to settle out in a a way. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, sometimes the dynamic with with a a home that's listed to sell, literally the dynamic can be as simple as just waiting for certain homes to go under contract and then the uh, the right buyer to come on. It's really just a timing thing, you know? And you just don't know exactly how to time things perfectly. Um, and so that's where there's kind of a constant, constant assessment going on with, okay, um, it's been a few weeks since this home has been on the market. Uh, do What do we need to do? Do we need to lower the price? Do we need to, to change up our marketing strategy? What exactly... Uh, needs to happen in order for us to get more activity and to get this under contract. And a lot of research goes into that Uh, research on the market as a whole, uh, but also just research on what's happening locally, what's happening in that neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, the job, my job will continue to shift. This is just the way it is. It's a, it's a very interesting job. Again, that's another misconception is that real estate isn't interesting. I think it's super duper fascinating um, and you guys know, I, I love doing this. I, I enjoy nerding out on all these, uh, on all these different things. I enjoy the fact that from year to year, my job is different and I have to, uh, keep on, keep myself on my toes. I don't, I don't even know if, I, if that's a, a phrase, but I just made a phrase. I have to keep myself on my toes, uh, to keep up uh, with the way real estate is constantly changing. But, but that's exciting. I enjoy it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit about how some of my focuses and some of the things that have brought value to my clients have changed over the years. Um, it will, like I said, it'll continue to change. But I would love for you to be my client if we haven't worked together. So my contact information is in the show notes. If you need to reach out to me, please rate, review, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any future episodes and we will talk again next time.